Let's pray. Father God in heaven, please would you show us Christ and indeed teach us what it means to be sons and daughters in him and approaching you. Um, please help us to be a church that is devoted to prayer and use, um, use your word that we have heard and use this sermon now to bring about in us um, prayerfulness, perhaps like we've never known before. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <coughs> Well, um, I uh, heard the story recently of um, a, a young lady, a Christian lady who went to university and uh, she wanted to share her faith with her friends. She wanted to go and, and tell them about Jesus and invite them to know him and so she took every opportunity she could. And she, one of her friends was an atheist and she was in a cafe with this lady um, and sharing the gospel with her, trying to answer questions about science and scripture and suffering and all kinds of things like that. And at the end of the conversation, her friend said, I'm not interested. Thanks very much. We can still be friends, but, you know, um, thanks, but no thanks. And the Christian lady said to her, okay, do you mind if I pray for you just as we finished? And, and her atheist friend said, Okay, sure. I'll, yeah, let, pray for me. That's fine. And um, and the the Christian lady bowed her head and prayed. You know, made made my friend become a Christian. You know, show show her the wonder of Jesus. That kind of thing. And obviously didn't you know think much of of her prayer and what was going to happen because she thought, okay, well that's that done. And she opened her eyes, and her atheist friend was in front of her with tears pouring down her cheeks, and her atheist friend said to her, "I can't believe you're speaking to him." I can't believe you're speaking to him. If you're a Christian here this evening, do you ever stop and think about that in your own prayer life? Do you ever stop and go, I can't believe I'm speaking to God. The creator of all that is, is listening to me. I can have a relationship with him. And in fact, the Bible says we're all made for that. We're all made for that relationship of, of speaking and hearing and having that loving dialogue with the living God. I wonder how much we make of that privilege. Well, today, as you've already heard, particularly from that reading in Acts 2, we're carrying on looking at this snapshot of the early church. The early church, a group of relatively uneducated folk, a small group, not really impressive, not got a lot to show. And yet, through them, God changed the known world. And he changed the known world with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that here in this man, there was God incarnate who gave his life in order to give eternal life to others. And the church endured persecution and suffering, cultural disapproval and displacements, simply so they could hold out the word of life to a dying world. And we would like to do that at St. John's, Danger Hill, wouldn't we? We want to be that kind of church. And so in looking at Acts 2.42, we're thinking, what are the marks of a church that does that? And we see devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. We also see that they are giving church. And we're partway through this series. We're looking at prayer, prayers number three. Um, and that's what we're thinking about tonight. But the whole series captures something really important. That what they did, they did together as a church. And particularly as a church family. And in the West today, we're kind of languishing under this rabid individualism. Aren't we? Everything is about me. And I'm the king of my life. And I'll decide what's right and wrong. We, we kind of think, I don't need the church. I can connect with God, wandering through a forest, listening to whale song. 
As I mentioned that this morning, I realized that we would have to be listening on our headphones because you won't hear whales in a forest. But what I want to say is if if you think that that is how you're going to connect with God, great, go ahead, do it. Appreciate the glory of God in creation. I'm not saying stop doing that. I'm not mocking that as a practice. But what I am saying is that the Bible's very clear. It's not in that. It's not in your individual experience that the heart of being a Christian is found. God used these Christians... It says in Acts, God used them to turn the world upside down, and he did it in and as they are together as church. The whole point of this series is to say that church is not an appendage to our lives. It's not some little thing that we fit in when it's convenient. Church is the place where God intends people to thrive in his kingdom. And the heart of the church life is a devotion to prayer. On the yellow sheet, you should have a sermon outline, and you'll see a quote by John Bunyan at the top of it. He says, this, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. As a church, we want to be that place where heaven meets earth, where together we find life and joy in everything in Jesus Christ. We want to turn this part of the world upside down in his name But our efforts will be wasted unless we devote ourselves to prayer. And towards the end of the sermon, we're going to think about a few sort of quick-fire practical things that we can do to make that happen. But first, what we need to do is catch from these disciples a devotion to prayer. Where did they learn to be devoted to prayer in this way? Well, of course, they learned it from Jesus. And so that's why we're thinking about Luke chapter 11. So if you could turn there, page 1042. This is learning how to be devoted to prayer. And just notice as we begin, Jesus is teaching his disciples as a community. You know, teach us to pray, the disciples say to him. And someone's written a nifty little jingle that captures this. I thought I'd share it with you because I enjoyed it so much myself. You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say, I. You cannot say the Lord's Prayer and even once say, my. Nor can you pray the Lord's Prayer and not pray for another. For when you ask for daily bread, you must include your brother. Brackets and sister, but that doesn't rhyme. For others are included in each and every plea from the beginning to the end of it. It never once says, me. Teach us to be devoted to prayer. That's our prayers. We're we're hitting this sermon this evening. Let's look at verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus was praying in a certain place. I don't know if you have people in your life, sort of spiritual superheroes that inspire you in how they approach their relationship with God. People who you know are praying regularly, intensely for you, for other people. When they say, I'm, I'm praying for you, you're like, yes, like that. I'm not just going to get a mention on a shopping list. They are going to be praying for me. Maybe you know someone like that and that inspires you. Or maybe it's an older saint from history. 
someone from maybe many centuries ago. You know, you hear all these stories, these, um, these, perhaps these people who've worn two grooves in the corner of their bedroom because their knees spend so much time down there. One of my favorite theologians is a guy from the 17th century called John Owen, and he wrote about five million words of theology. He ran Oxford University. At one time, he was chaplain to Oliver Cromwell and a whole load of other things. And someone once said, you know, Johnny boy, talk, talk to me about your prayer life. What does your morning prayer routine look like? And John Owen, this incredibly busy man with an incredibly difficult life, lots of grief in his life, said, well, normally I pray for one hour in the morning unless it's a really busy and difficult day, in which case I pray for two. This man, as busy and brilliant as John Owen, said, I cannot do without prayer in my life. So it's great to learn from them. But nothing compares with Jesus. He is the ultimate inspiration for a devoted prayer life. Here was a man, he calmed the storms, healed the sick, cast out demons. He had a relationship with God, an intimacy with God that's absolutely unparalleled. Who better to teach on prayer than this guy? Now what we know about Jesus, of course, is he was no ordinary man. Jesus was fully man, but he was not only man. Here in the flesh was none other than God the Son. Eternally, he dwells as the perfect son of the perfect father. And as he takes on human nature in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit, perfect sonship becomes a man. And so concentrated in this guy, in Jesus Christ, you have the embodiment of a perfect relationship to God the Father. And what does it look like when a perfect son walks on this earth? Well, it looks like various things, but we're thinking this evening it looks like a life full of intense, passionate, effective prayer. In Luke's Gospel, at lots of key stages, we're told Jesus was praying. Either Jesus was praying and something amazing happened, or something amazing happened, and then we're told Jesus was praying. We can learn from Jesus, and we must learn from Jesus to be devoted to prayer. And really, there's just one word in this passage. Everything is going to be kind of circling around this one word, and it's one word, an idea in the whole New Testament that says, this is how you become devoted to prayer. And the one word is this, Father. It's the word Father. Now, imagine Jesus standing there instructing his disciples, when you pray, say, Father, boom, bombshell. We are so used to, to knowing that everyone knows the Lord's Prayer by road. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We, we're so used to saying it that we miss the scandal. Who calls God that? We get to call God what? Father? That is incredible. Because this was never really known before. Don't get me wrong, in the Old Testament, you know, Luke 3.38 says that Adam, the first human, was called the Son of God. And in the Old Testament, you have kind of hints of the fatherhood of God that that poke out here and there. And yet, for some reason, it never really materializes in all its fullness until here we get to Jesus. And in fact, the reason is sin. You see, humanity has rejected God. In one sense, it says in Acts 17, we are all his offspring. We are created by him in his image, and therefore we have value and dignity, and that can never be taken away. But what sin means is we have rejected his fatherhood. We don't want him to be our father, and so he is not. Despite what various people might tell you, he is not a universal father of all humanity in that close, intimate, relational way. In our sin, we reject him, and in our sin, we don't deserve him. But that's the reason why Jesus came. The eternal son became a human son, in fact, became the human son we never were. And in his living, dying, and rising again, he put right 
all that we had done wrong, dealing with our failures and our sin. And the message of the New Testament is that by the Holy Spirit, we're brought into Jesus' life of perfect sonship. He is, his life is kind of counted as ours. What he is by nature, the eternal son of God, we can become by grace, children of the living God. So apart from Jesus, we can't pray. But when through faith by the Holy Spirit, we are one with Jesus Christ, we get to call God the Father, our Father too. And that means we go to him with everything and anything all the time. And this is outrageous. I can't believe you're speaking to him. We get to call him Father. Before working at Oak Hill, I, I was a minister in a church, um, and we met in a school hall, and we it's sort of a big open space, but you know, chairs looked a lot like this. And my uh, my little daughter Ava uh, used to have you know no sense of propriety still doesn't but you know back then even less so and there were often times I'd be stood up here leading the service you know it's a church service we're serious you know we take this seriously in a church service Ava not so much jump out of Abby's arms and just leg it down the church towards me in front of everyone and she didn't care why because she saw me she said that's my dad and I'm just going straight to him it's it's audacious it's outrageous it's scandalous you know and what did I do Despite the temptation to palm her off? No, I would pick her up and carry on because I'm her father. Of course she can come to me, even in that moment. And that sense of scandal that we just go straight to God. It's not that propriety is lost, it's not that reverence is lost, but the very fact that we call God Father, can't believe you're speaking to him, is captured in this parable in verses 5 to 8. And if you look in verse 8, because of the man's boldness, uh, it's that word boldness, ignore the footnote, it's really not to do with persistence. Actually, it perhaps is better understood as shameless audacity. And in fact, that's how it's translated in some newer versions. Shameless audacity. Because of his shameless audacity, he will give you whatever you need. So th- there you are, you know, someone's pitched up on your doorstep um, uh, late at night after a long journey, and you don't have any food. Tradition dictates you should be providing him food, Amazon Prime now, not a thing. Your freezer is empty. What do you do? Well, you go and knock on your neighbor's door and say, well, someone's turned up on my door. I need three loaves of bread to feed him. You know, you're thinking, well, he must look like me (laughs) if you need three loaves of bread to feed him. You know, chuck in some bacon and I'll be happy, certainly, with three loaves of bread. But notice, notice, it is not about the persistence. It's about the audacity. He only asks once, he only knocks once. And the guy's like, come on, you know, it's one bedroom house, you share the whole bedroom kind of with your family, lying on a mat on the floor, children are there, doors locked. I'm not going to get up and answer you. But just the very fact of his nerve, of going and knocking on his door in the middle of the night, well, because of that, the neighbor will get up and give you all you need. And that sense of scandal, that shameless audacity, is what it must have been like to hear Jesus say, you can call God Father too. You can speak to him about anything. But the thing is, that is the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you trust in Jesus Christ, you can. You can know God as your father. Your sins are forgiven and you approach him as a beloved child in the one who is the perfect son. And Jesus is saying, if an irritated and annoyed neighbor is going to respond to your shameless audacity, well, how much more a gracious father who loves to hear the prayers of his children in Christ. 
And so what we need to do to be devoted to prayer is claim that bold right as a child of God in Jesus Christ. Timothy Keller once said, who else can wake up the king at three o'clock in the morning for a glass of milk but his beloved child? Do you think about your relationship with God like that? This is how we can pray at all because in the perfect son in Jesus Christ and because of what he's done, we can know God as father. But also, if we know God as Father, we shouldn't be able to even do without prayer. Listen to these quite sobering but helpful words from J.I. Packer. Prayer is the spiritual measure of men and women in a way that nothing else is. So that how we pray is as important a question as we can ever face. Can you hear what he's saying? If you want to know how you're doing spiritually, if you want to know how you're doing in your relationship with God, look at your prayer life. Because your prayer life will tell you what you think about God and what you think about yourself before God. Because if we know God as Father, then we should delight in speaking to him. In fact, we should feel a sense of urgency. I can't not speak to him, for I am his child. Turn back a few chapters to Luke chapter 2. And just the words of Jesus in verse 49. Here the the family have been on pilgrimage for the Passover festival in Jerusalem. And his parents have headed back. Jesus is 12 years old. And they're going on the train of people back. um, Train meaning lots of people walking, not a choo-choo train. Um, And they're going on the train back to their hometown. And Jesus has hung behind in the temple. And his parents are frantic and worried. And then eventually they find him. In verse 49, Jesus says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? I had to be about my father's business. I had to be seeking his face. Didn't you know I'm the son? Where else would I be but trying to seek my father and speak with him? And the thing is, the same should go for us. We should want more than anything, if we are God's children, to be spending time with him. Someone once said, it is as natural for a Christian to pray as it is for a person to breathe. It's as natural for a Christian to pray as a person to breathe because it's natural for children to desire to spend time with their Heavenly Father. And I want to say this evening, if you don't feel that urgency, let let me just drop this question in. What is it that you have forgotten or perhaps never known about the relationship with God that is available in Jesus Christ? Maybe this evening is the opportunity to take stock and just ask for God's help. I don't, I don't feel this sense of urgency at all. Have I forgotten who he is to me in Jesus? And the glorious thing is, there's just a wonderfully circular answer to this. We, we pray a lot because we feel our sense of being God's children, and yet the way we feel more of a sense of being God's children is praying a lot. It's a circular thing. Just jump on and get going. Maybe tonight is the night that you need to say, Father, I need help. I've forgotten what it means to be your child. Maybe tonight is the night to say, I've never known you as father. Will you have me as your son or daughter in Christ? And if you repent and believe, the answer is undoubtedly yes. So, in Christ, God is our father. That means we can pray in the first place. And it means we should feel the necessity to pray. But what follows after that explosive revelation, I've just done one word so far, this is good, good going, isn't it? It's the form of what is known as the Lord's Prayer. 
And that's verses 2, 3, and 4. Now, as you heard it read, and as you're looking at it there on page 1042, back in Luke 11, you might be thinking, well, that's not the prayer I know of by heart. What's going on here? And, and maybe you might be thinking in Matthew 6, there are a few additional little lines. And, and then the prayer that the church prays has a few little lines at the end as well. That's true. The prayer that perhaps you know of by heart, that we know by rote, known as the Lord's Prayer, is an entirely biblical prayer, but it's perhaps pieced together from a few different places. Well, that tells us a couple of things. Firstly, the fact that in Matthew and Luke we have slightly different but substantially the same prayer tells us Jesus taught about this on more than one occasion. Matthew's recording one, Luke is recording another, but what do you notice? Well, they're pretty much the same thing. It's just Matthew has a few little extra words here and there. So whenever someone says, Jesus, teach me how to pray, this is what they get. And that means this is therefore really the place we turn to learn to be devoted to prayer. That's the first thing. But secondly, it it teaches us that the strict form of wording of the Lord's Prayer isn't the entire point. Prayer is not like a spell in Harry Potter. Okay, don't get me wrong. There's loads of value in learning the Lord's Prayer in the way that the church has learned it. It's, it's, the church has learned it for that reason, for a reason. It is very, very good to know it. And, and we'll be praying it after the sermon. It gets into our head, it gets into our heart. But the point is that actually, as well as that, as well as giving us a form of words we can say together as a congregation, Jesus is giving us headline points. He's giving us categories of what to include. He's giving us the main ideas. So if you look at my sermon outline for this evening... You've got the main ideas here. You know, you could go away without hearing this sermon with this and you would still have got the main idea. Admittedly, you go away without listening to my sermon, you miss a certain je ne sais quoi of, uh, of what it is that I'm bringing, you know, a bit of sparkling wit and stuff like that. But you go away with this thing, you've got what I'm saying. The Lord's Prayer is a little bit like that. The main idea is there. It needs filling out and fleshing out as we go through but we've got it. And we can split it into two parts. I've split it into two parts. And both only make sense when we remember that God is our Father. So firstly, verse 2, God's glory. Our Father in heaven, verse 13 adds the in heaven, so it's fine to say it, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We're praying for the glory of our Father. And it's not just sort of a throwaway comment, you know, I like your name um, and your kingdom's doing a good job. They're, they're actually uh, requests. Let your name be hallowed. Let your kingdom come. What are good sons and daughters concerned with? Their own reputation or their father's? Jesus, the perfect son, concerned with his father's glory and his father's will and reputation. And Jesus is teaching us to pray in the same way in order that our lives are actually rightly ordered and our priorities are the right way around. Because in our sin, our priorities are completely perversely upside down. The essence of sin is that we are turned in on ourselves and we worship ourselves and we think that we're the great ones. And to be honest, Maybe I'm speaking for myself, I don't think I am, but even as Christians, isn't there a part of you deep down that, you know, wants to say, I don't know how to put this, but uh, I'm kind of a big deal. No? Is there there any part in you that that actually that kind of wants to come screaming out? Maybe you've heard the story of Narcissus, um, the sort of ancient legend, Narcissus, just the most wonderful, beautiful, handsome instantiation of man ever known, ripped, athletic absolutely beautiful as a man and he broke so many hearts because the thing is no one was good enough no one was as beautiful as narcissus 
And one day someone thought, that's not very good, we're going to get our own back on him. And so they lured him into a forest, lured him to a still pool. They knew what they were doing. And they they got narcissists to sort of peer over the edge of the pool and look into the reflection. And what should stare back at him but the most beautiful thing he had ever seen, himself. And Narcissus fell in love with this, with himself. He was obsessed with himself. And obviously he went mad because that's crazy. And also it's unreciprocated. It is a very unhealthy way to live. And yet, that is actually quite an accurate description of humanity. Since Eden, humanity's had a gold complex. We're obsessed with ourselves. We think we're the most wonderful thing in the entire universe. Apparently, cultural psychologists say at the minute we live in an epidemic of cultural narcissism. We are so obsessed as a culture with ourselves the endless desire for public ratification and approval. You know, social media exists in a culture of relentless self-promotion. That is the entire basis of it. It's always been a problem of humanity. We live in a society that's proud of the facts. What do we need to learn how to pray then? We need to reject that sinful tendency to worship ourselves. And so Jesus says we need to turn back out to God. What is the priority in prayer? Praying for God's glory and God's kingdom, not our own. Don't mishear me, there is an important place for self-care. But actually, the way you will most care for yourself is to live as you were designed to do, which is turned back out as a son or daughter of God and care about his glory. And that's what these two petitions are. Hallowed be your name, let your name be set apart as holy and worshipped. Let you be exalted, not me. Let your kingdom come, and if we're praying, would your kingdom come? Or actually praying, would all opposing kingdoms fail and fall? You know, we might not like praying those psalms that make us feel uncomfortable about God's vengeance and dashing enemies against the rocks. But actually, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're praying that everyone who opposes the living God would fall and fail. Don't get me wrong, the the, the kingdom of God in this age of grace doesn't come through military campaigns. It comes through the preaching of the gospel. It comes through acts of love in the church. But we pray for it, and we pray that the kingdom of darkness and evil would fail and fall as the church advances, as God's kingdom advances through us. When we pray, look, Father, your kingdom come, we're saying, in my own life, in my family's life, even in my attitudes, may the rule of God be visible for everyone to see. Would your kingdom come? And that's what the early church did. Remember, we saw in Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer, no doubt, praying, Lord, let your kingdom come. And a few verses later, what do we read? And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. So we pray for God's glory. Earlier on today, St. John Stancher Hill had a stall down at Southend Green Festival. The point of that stall was not to say, St. John Stancher Hill! We're amazing here. You want to know the name of St. John Stancher Hill? No, the the point of the stall, the thing we should be praying is to say, at St. John Stancher Hill, you will come to know the name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ. At St. John Stancher Hill, you will come to find life in all its fullness. You will meet the living God. We pray for his name to be hallowed, for his kingdom to advance. That's what we should be praying for as a church. God's glory. Secondly, praying for our good. 
The prayer for daily bread, physical, emotional, material, financial, needs to be met so that we can do God's will. And this is actually quite an important one. In, in the comfortable West, particularly here in Hampstead, we think, well, I don't, you know, do I really need prayer for anything today? We're going to go on the fact that we always need prayer all the time for everything in our lives. But particularly we think, well, you know what, things are fine. I don't think I need prayer. In praying for our daily bread, we're recognizing that anything we have, all the money we earn, the houses we live in, the holidays we go on, the food in the fridge, all of it is a gift of God. But for God, you would not have it. And so we, by praying, give us this day our daily bread. We remain humble, recognize we depend on him for all things. And also we're saying, please give us everything. And this means, you know, when you're asking for prayer, it's perfectly fine to pray for Auntie Rita's broken foot. I have an Auntie Rita. That always comes to my mind. Um, but not just Auntie Rita's broken foot, but job worries, exam worries, stress, medical results, medical treatment, all of it comes under this. We must pray for it, Jesus says. God is sovereign over all things, so we pray for him to provide. And we pray for one another in all these things. Next, forgiveness. Forgive us our sins. And it's important to realize, up until now, I've been making this big case. We're sons and daughters in the sun. This is what perfect sonship looks like. Praying for God's glory, this is fantastic. This is the point in the prayer that Jesus did not need to pray. He was perfectly sinless, and our entire salvation hinges on it. But this part of the prayer is what faithful sons and daughters who are sinful need to pray and keep praying. We don't pray it out of fear of punishment or because we need to keep getting saved. In Luke's gospel, this this prayer appears as Jesus has set his face to Jerusalem. He's going to the cross where he will take the punishment and hell that we deserve so that we can be forgiven. And once we've prayed, forgive us our sins for the first time, then all of his righteousness comes to us. And we truly have forgiveness of sins in that ultimate sense. The reason why we keep praying it, the reason why Jesus says, whenever you pray, ask for this, is because as children, you know, without the fear of hell anymore, because in Christ we're forgiven, nevertheless, as children, we want to say, I don't like offending against my father. I want forgiveness for my sins. And of course, a forgiven person is a forgiving person. We forgive everyone who sins against us, the children of God, the church of Jesus Christ. This is a place where grace reigns. And so this is a prayer. This, this, this petition of the Lord's Prayer is that we would deepen our joy in the gospel and that church would be a place of forgiveness and grace. Yes, where we correct one another and rebuke one another and encourage one another in righteousness, but everything we do should be shaped by grace and forgiveness. Finally, lead us not into temptation, a prayer that we would keep on going in the Christian life, that we would not give up, that we would, like faithful sons and daughters, pursue obedience and pursue righteousness, that we may pursue what is excellent and pursue purity. You want to know how to pray for someone else in this church? We want, as a church, to pray and be devoted to prayer so that we change the world. We pray for this. We pray that we would keep going and pursue what is good and love what is good. Now, that's a really brief run-through of the Lord's Prayer. And, and the church, for centuries, has a very venerable tr- tradition of taking the Lord's Prayer apart, each petition at a time, having a whole sermon series on it. And I can point to loads of resources in that regard. We're just kind of giving a flavor. We want to learn how to be devoted to prayer um, in the first place. But as we just went through it, I wonder if you look over it, look at the order and look at the priorities. God's glory and then our good. 
Do you pray according to that order? Do you, do you pray with that kind of balance? I, I wonder if often actually we, we just pray for the sort of give us this day our daily bread. We pray for Auntie Rita's broken foot and everything else that's going on and we forget, pray that I would delight in the gospel of forgiveness. Pray that I would pursue righteousness. Don't get me wrong, keep praying for Auntie Rita's broken foot, but don't let that take up all the space. Finally, knowing God as Father means we are confident that we get all we need. Look in verse 9. Notice what Jesus does not say. Ask with the right intensity, eloquence and reverence, and it will be given to you. Seek in the right places and at the right times and you may find. Knock in the correct sequence with an arm strengthened by enough faith and the door may just open. No, not at all. Why not? Well, we're children coming to a father who has given us Jesus Christ. He's given us eternal life already. There is nothing he will not give us that is for our good. If you come to, to, to God in Christ as your father, there are no qualifications. Ask, you receive. Seek, you find. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What more incentive do we need to devote ourselves to prayer as a church? God is able to do everything good for us because he is mighty God. And he wants to do everything good for us because he is a perfect father. And I should say, maybe all this talk about coming to God as father, you you, you kind of think, well, my experience of, of fatherhood is not good. Maybe an absent father, maybe an awful father. Remember in God, we're not dealing with a father like any earthly father. He is perfect. And so we can come to him He is mighty, he is father, he can, he will give us all good. And that's how Jesus kind of finishes, isn't it? Verses 11 to 13, we know human fathers, even though flawed and fallen, should be able to tell the difference between what's good for their children and what's not. So they will be giving it to them. You know, a son asks for a fish, you don't give him a snake. Or you don't give him a scorpion when he asks for an egg. When your daughter comes to you and says, I want the best sports kit this world has ever known as a good boy from the valleys, you do not give her an England football outfit. You say, Ava, here is the Welsh rugby kit, the highest gift a father can bestow. Here you go. There is nothing better. Fathers give good things to their children. They give what they need. And I cannot stress that enough. God is a good father. He is the perfect father. And it might be that what he gives you, what he knows that you need, is not what you would have chosen for yourself. It might be that what you have sought from God for your daily bread is not the best way he knows his kingdom will come in your life. There might be things that are better for our eternal good that are actually quite hard to carry right now. And as sons and daughters, as a church family, we need to say, will we trust our Father to know what is right? If we knew what he knew, we'd agree with him. But we don't. So we need to trust. We need to look at the cross and see the proof. God always does what is for our good and his glory. And then be confident that he will give us all we need. And a a place where I, I love going to illustrate this point is in Luke 21, Jesus is, um, you don't need to turn to it, he's talking to his disciples about what's going to happen when he goes and they're kind of left on their own. It's a description in some ways of what happens in the book of Acts. They'll be brought before people in authority, they'll have to give an answer. Jesus promises them, you will be given words, so don't worry about that. And then in Luke 21 verse 16, he says, you will be betrayed 
even by parents, brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish. What an extraordinary thing to say. You will be killed, but you won't be harmed. You will be hated by everyone, and yet you will be more loved than you will ever need. That is the good that our Father in heaven promises to us. And so notice what Jesus offers as the promise of the good things, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, in one sense, the answer to the Lord's Prayer. Why? Because the Holy Spirit brings us into union with Jesus. He is the one who shows us the glory of the Father that brings the kingdom, supplies our daily needs, forgives us our sins, resists temptation, delivers us from evil, and helps us see that the kingdom, the power, and the glory alone are God's. That is what the Holy Spirit does in our life, because that is what he did in Jesus' life. In a crude sense, the Holy Spirit brought out in Jesus the Son that he is, so that he could resist temptation and keep going. And Jesus says, well, he'll bring out our status as sons and daughters too. Paul in Romans 8 says, the spirit of the Son comes into our hearts and fills our hearts so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit is the answer to prayer and he is the fuel to more. So I promised some quickfire applications to finish and there are three of them. One of them to do straight after the service. One of them to put in your diary, and one of them to turn into a daily habit for the rest of your life. Okay, you ready? First thing, after the service, turn to someone near to you who does not share your surname or your house, and ask them, can I pray for you? And if they say yes, ask them how you can pray for them. It might be a prayer for daily bread. It might be work trouble. It might be um, health. It might be finances. Great. Pray for that. It might be that someone has heard this and said, you know what, I am a child of God and I want to be part of God's kingdom coming through this church, St. John Stancher Hill. Pray that I would know what that looks like. Brilliant. Pray for that too. So, number one. Next thing, prayer meeting is on Wednesday. Put in your diary. I say this, do as I say, not as I do. Um, I've been shocking at this. But after preaching this sermon, it is in red and black in my diary. Prayer meeting this Wednesday, 7.30 for food, 8 p.m. for prayer. Let's pray together. Final thing, habits. Pray daily. Great start. As you pray daily, commit every day for the rest of your life to praying for your church. As long as you are here at St. John Stancher Hill, pray for this church. Pray for the people you know. Pray for the church as a whole. Pray for Tom and the whole leadership team. Pray that God's kingdom will come through this ministry and he will be glorified in all that happens here. Three very simple applications. The early church devoted themselves to prayer and they received the Holy Spirit and through them God turned the world upside down. Would we be bold enough to ask for the same? Well, let's do that now. Let's pray. Our God and Father in heaven, you are mighty, you are able to do us all good, and because you are, you are a Father who is nothing but infinite love, you long to do us all good. I pray that in the name of your Son and by the power of your Spirit, everyone here this evening would know you as Father. That maybe those who are here this evening who have never known you as Father would feel themselves turning to Christ and seeing his beauty, seeing his wonder, and wanting to find themselves in him, receiving his life receiving the benefits of his death and his resurrection and therefore being forgiven of their sins and receiving perfect love from you so that they can call you Father. I pray 
for all of us, that we would feel that afresh right now by your Spirit, that we would know you as our Father, not just know that you are a Father to those in Christ, but we would know you as our Father. Please would you do that for us, we pray. And therefore, help us to feel the urgency to pray. Help us never to be satisfied with a brief shopping list and then face the rest of the day. Let us be constantly in prayer. Let us be devoted to prayer. As a church, let us be devoted to prayer as your children coming together and seeking your good and seeking your glory. Would you bring us together so that we pray? And would you use us to turn the world upside down here in Hampstead? So, Father, we thank you for the South End Green Festival and the um, stall that St. John's was able to have there. Father God, we pray that it would have been the name of Jesus Christ, that it would have been the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that was proclaimed through that ministry. We thank you for the people who gave up so much time to do it. And we pray that your kingdom would come in, that people would take those invitations, people would take those conversations, and would not be able to rest satisfied until they have found out about Jesus Christ. Father God, we thank you for the mission partners that this church supports. And we pray this evening particularly for the jumps who are ministering in East Manchester in a very difficult context. We pray you would supply their needs, the finances, the ministerial staff, members of the church family who can get stuck in where they need to. Father God, we pray you would supply all their needs. We pray that they would, as a church, enjoy the gospel, that it would be a place where forgiveness reigns. We pray that all the people coming into church with lots and lots of problems, um, uh, lots and lots of uh, difficulties and burdens would find their forgiveness and would find their nothing but grace and that they would therefore pursue lives of obedience and wholeness as they seek to be holy in the image of your Son. Father, we pray for the concert that is happening this Friday. Would you bring many, many people from the local area to hear the music, to enjoy the music? May it be a great summer's evening. Pray for all the logistics of the evening. And we pray that the message that is preached would lift Jesus high, that it would be the name of God that is magnified, and therefore that people would be brought into this kingdom. We pray that if there are those who come who do not know you, that the kingdom of darkness would collapse in their lives as they are brought into the light. And Father God, this evening we pray for all those who are in need in our church family. Help us to look around us in love as we see our brothers and sisters. Help us to be committed to them in material supply and provision. Help us to be committed to them in prayer and love. We pray particularly for Cobra Stoffberg recovering from surgery and for John Hayworth who is at home and for all others who need to know that you love them, you care for them and they need to know your healing touch and your loving presence. We ask all of these things and know that you promise to give us all that is good in response. For you are our loving Father in heaven. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going we're gonna to pray the Lord's prayer, uh, prayer together now. Um, I don't think you've got it on any of your sheets. Um, hopefully you'll know it. I'll lead it loudly. Um, I was 
as one of my friends who's a minister um, was at a wedding um, and he was leading the Lord's Prayer at the wedding and he forgot it partway through <laughs> and he had to stop it and you know he was like great you're at the wedding where the vicar forgot the Lord's Prayer so to make sure I didn't do that I've got it written down so <laughs> I know it I know it well but you know in the moment who knows so I will lead if you know it join in um, if you don't just just hear those words, think about what we've been saying, and if you agree, give a hearty amen at the end. So let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.